What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. And this week, our podcast is being brought to you by our friends at Bet Online and Untuck It. So, thank you to those people for helping to keep our lights on. With me this week, as he is every week, my friend, a guy who's been begging for Al Horford to be benched for longer than I can remember, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you doing? Three-game win streak, and now I get a week off from talking about the Sixers. It's literally all I could ever want. It's a uh, it's a beautiful time, Seamus. We get to uh, we go on a hiatus after today for a little bit. We don't have to. There's no longer an existential crisis for Philly fans. All the the demons have been exercised to an extent. Any anytime you beat the the team beats a team like the Clippers to head into the All Star break, that's always gonna. Send some good vibes around the city, so I I think we'll be able to give the people a positive podcast for today, which is a, a rare occurrence for the two of us, I think. Yeah, when I was walking out of the arena last night, I'm like, that's the perfect game to have before the All-Star break. They're on a three-game win streak. They beat a scrappy-ass Grizzlies team. Uh, it was a little too close for comfort against Chicago, but they pulled it out, and then they beat uh, a team people had pegged to win the NBA championship in the preseason team I expected to make the finals a team that that was the finals preview that I had predicted uh so that's a hell of a win and for the next week we're going to certainly still hear people complaining about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid not fitting with each other but it'll be less so than if they had lost that game so take the silver lining yeah so let's start with friend of the podcast Joel Embiid, who had a, one of the more interesting weeks uh, that I can remember. I, I mean, we've hit the full spectrum of takes with Joel. There was the the Milwaukee Bucks game where Joel is getting openly ripped by Reggie Miller during the broadcast. Not something you hear Reggie Miller do often for anybody, let alone a player of Embiid's stature. He sort of sleepwalks through the weekend's games. He he put up big numbers against Chicago on Sunday, but there was the the booze all weekend and the shush and the the gesture to the crowd to to shut the fuck up again at at the end of that Bulls game when he hit a, a clinching three. Then there were the Instagram posts. That I, I I don't think Sheamus, and this is just my opinion on the whole thing. I don't think the Instagram post was a big deal. I don't think that the shushing was a big deal or even the, the F-bomb that he dropped. I think the problem was the, the dumb comment that oh, he yeah. made in reply oh, to yeah. Butler. And so, you know, I, I thought it was a, a little bit weird that he got booed before a game. I think it's one thing if he had rolled out on uh, Friday or Sunday and loafed around as he did in, in other games recently. Maybe that's a little harsh, but look, I, this is a fan base that's frustrated with where the team is right now, certainly with the way Joel has played during the times he's been available. And I think he probably offered the best possible response that he could have just with the way he played against the Clippers, where I, I thought from minute one of that game, and I'm, I'm sure we could offer theories on whether Horford's benching is the thing that energized them and incentivized them to play well. But he came out and was running the floor, doing Joel Embiid things. I, I thought that was uh, one of the more complete games he's had in a while. Especially early. He seemed energized, feeding off the booze. I was at the game. I cheered him. And it was I would say it's a mix between booze and cheers. Would you agree with that as someone who was there covering the team? Yeah, for sure. I, I think if I was estimating it and you sit in a different spot than I am, so you probably hear 
a, a different part of the arena. It, it's all perception. It felt like maybe, I don't know, let's say 10 to 15% booze and, and the rest were cheers. It certainly wasn't anything approaching a, a 50-50 split. But I think the more interesting thing was the fact that Furkan Korkmaz got louder cheers during lineup introductions than Joel Embiid, which is not something that I I ever would have guessed is a possibility after his third-year option got declined as recently as last year. No one likes a backup player more than a Philadelphian. A very Philadelphia story Furkan Korkmaz has had. But, you know, I, like I, I, I can see – I'm not a play both sides of the fence guy. I can see both sides of what went down with Joel over the weekend. Like I said, I, I think this fan base has every right to feel like they have not gotten the performance from this team that should have been expected coming into the year, was expected coming into the year, as we've discussed in, in previous podcasts, Seamus. Brett Brown came out and said they want to be the number one seed. They're not even close to that. They're not even within striking distance of of that sort of seeding, of that sort of status in the Eastern Conference. And, and Joel has been the face of that to a degree, I think, the biggest criticism I have, and you can spin this off of the the Jimmy Butler thing, is he's supposed to lead by example. And maybe he does that when nobody's watching, when it's a, a midnight workout, as Brett Brown said to reporters before the game on Tuesday, whether it's him in a film session verbalizing something that needs to be said to the group rather than just from the coaching staff. Those are very important things that ultimately probably have a bigger impact on his relationship with his teammates than some Instagram stuff. But when you're in the middle of a stretch like this, I I know that Joel obviously wants to push everybody's buttons and he wants to be the playful, fun-loving guy that he's always been since he came to the league. But he's got to know better. He's got to know where the line is. I, like, I think that's what really has been confusing to me about this season. Nobody ever said that he can't have fun and like walk the line and, and troll people and have fun on Instagram. It's knowing the difference between having some fun and messing with people and doing stuff that invites scrutiny and, and pressure and things on on the organization and your teammates and I thought that he didn't with the Jimmy Butler comment he didn't do a good job of that but ultimately if he comes out and plays like he did against the Clippers that's that's all that most people are going to care about the Butler comment rubbed me the wrong way I get if you're he's always been a troll he's always been someone who is very outgoing that's his personality and the shut the fuck up thing was fine to me. It was in the moment of the game. It's one of those weird, uh, like, because we consider him, like, we've adopted Joe as this Philadelphian in the way that we have an Al Horford. So when, like, Al Horford said, I told everyone to shush, it was like, oh, fuck you, Al Horford. We don't even want you here. Yeah, and he doesn't then, have the clout. Yeah, ex- yeah he doesn't like have that. the clout. If Joe's doing it, it's fine. He's been there. He's played into the uh, frenzy, insane Philadelphian fans. Uh, like, really, no athlete in the city since you know Dawkins and Iverson's heyday to me uh so he's built up that goodwill and I was fine with the Instagram post it's obviously like a cliched funny quote that people use all the time but the the Jimmy thing rubbed me the wrong way you can't even jokingly say that you're like thinking about playing in front of their team he's smart enough to know what he's doing he shouldn't have done that that's the only thing that really kind of pissed me off a little bit yeah especially when he- especially when it's clear that he was quite, quite close with Jimmy, and yes. the perception that I get, and I'm not sure how much you can speak to it, is that he's not super particularly close with anyone on the roster now, uh, as opposed to has, as opposed to the way he's been in past years with Jimmy, Markel, Covington, Justin Anderson, Dario, and some guys like that, guys who had been in that Brett Brown's program, so to speak, for a while. So... I wonder if that's a difficulty for him where he's not connecting or he doesn't have the close friendships that he previously had on the team and that's why he kind of is BSing around with Jimmy on Instagram. But it's a situation where he needs to have the awareness just to not say something like that where that's actually something that's a PR hit. The other stuff can be spinned off easily. That's kind of just, you know, you have to be smarter than that. Yeah, and I think to your point, Seamus, I, I don't want to call Joel a loner because he, it's I don't think he just sits in an ivory tower a, away from the world and like doesn't interact with anybody. 
But I think compared to somebody like Tobias Harris, for example, is somebody that has tried to galvanize the locker room, organize team activities, make sure they're doing things together on the road to bring them together. I don't think Joel is necessarily wired like that. And that's not a criticism. Not everybody is meant to be like the the person who hosts team parties or, or brings everyone together like that. And ultimately, as long as he's not being actively harmful to team chemistry or like creating negative relationships with these guys, the rest of that stuff doesn't matter. As long as they play well together on the court and have some level of of trust and respect for each other. But certainly I think that a lot of the guys that he was really close with, Jimmy Butler included, have left over the last year or two. And, you know, I'm sure like beyond just the off-court stuff, I think it's more important that in Jimmy Butler, Joel had a guy that he played really well next to and they came to an understanding playing together at the end of that season. And I think Joel saw jimmy leaving as maybe an elevation of ben and like a bigger bet on ben from the organization i I think he certainly understands that and and like look they they have they have improved together as teammates on and off the court i think ben and joel like the the stuff about them hating each other that was there early on like all those weird rumors i know i don't think that's the case they're certainly not best friends but i think when they've had reasonably competent lineups around them they've showed you including in the Clippers game on Tuesday night that these guys are are capable of doing big things but I think between Joel sort of moping through parts of this year the Instagram comment with Jimmy the the obvious relationship that those two guys had all those things together make for a a, a toxic mix and so it's an area that Maybe he had a blind spot. Maybe he didn't, and he was really trying to get a rise out of everybody. The bottom line is, as you already said, Seamus, he's he's got to be smarter, and and he's not a dumb guy. There were no, I tell you, I not. saw he's, he's he's one of the most astute players I think out there in terms of uh, awareness of the media, of fan bases, and yes. then I think basketball IQ is pretty high as well. I saw some people in my Twitter mentions as that was all ongoing saying some things like well english isn't his first language so he doesn't understand what he said and it's like look dude there are times when joel's turn of phrase isn't a hundred percent there but the idea that he doesn't (laughs) know what he's saying or doing in that respect is just outrageous a smart guy he's not an idiot or anything like that or he's not i mean he's been speaking the language long enough he I'm not going to pretend like I know the intricacies of Joel Embiid's linguistics, but uh, from what I could tell, he speaks English quite well and would not uh, unintentionally say the wrong thing on Instagram when it pertains to a situation uh, of playing for another team, especially teaming up with a player that uh, quite acrimoniously just left this organization less than a year ago. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I think that's a little insulting to the idea that it's almost like a doesn't. like a weird like reverse racist thing. Like he's calling you out for saying like you're not acknowledging the fact that he doesn't know the language. But why are you assuming that he doesn't know the language? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a very strange. Did Horseshoe you see? Theory. Did you see? I don't remember who had the odds, I, but somebody sent a, a like a PR email around about who Joel Embiid will what team he will be on to start the yeah, the 2020-2021 Sixers were like season. minus 750 yeah I like think. the heavy favorites still but the I, fact I, w- that, I would hope <laughs> the fact that that became a thing shows you like hey big fella I know you think that it's all fun and games on social media but there are definitely times when you you got to keep your voice down a little bit and and not say something just to get a rise out of everybody yeah, I don't think there's hard feelings between him and the fans now. He obviously had a fantastic performance since the Clippers. He came out energized early, and whether that was feeding off of all the controversy, whether it's feeding off the fact, I, I think he very clearly didn't like, There's, I don't know if he has issues with Al as a person, but I think he clearly did not want to be sharing the court with him. So he's starting without Al for the first time in a bit, energized because of that, comes out early, gets a couple quick fouls on them, gets to the line quickly, gets LA and foul trouble and he's just living it up cheering himself 
you know, waving his hands, getting the crowd into it, getting everyone rocking at the Farg. It was a classic Joe performance. If you had known absolutely nothing of what had gone on off the court in the previous 72 hours, you would assume nothing was wrong. Well, so while we're on the subject, Seamus, of betting on which team Joel mm. Embiid might play for next year, it's a perfect time to segue to the betonline.ag bad beat of the week. It's time for the bad beat of the week. BetOnline.ag is your online sportsbook expert. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a 50% welcome bonus. Seamus, have you gambled at all with our friends BetOnline this week, and do you have any particularly bad losses? I actually did not have any losses this week. Because I lost used, LeVar Ball I, status. Because I, I use BetOnline.ag. It's easy to win money. They got great lines. You get the, the great time, lines. Man. It's easy, simple interface. There's nothing easier. There's no easier way to make money, win free money, betting on sports. Well, I bet don't know about free money, but there is certainly money to be won. Um, hey, if you never lose, it's free. Well, Seamus, I think I'm more of a volume better than you are. That doesn't mean I lose more than I win. I have done pretty well for myself recently, but up several units. When you do the unit thing, as that's what's that, in the past. It's I know, just just, it's, it's an outrageous claim. Yeah, <laughs> when like, someone has it in their Twitter bio, like up uh, two point four units uh, this NFL season, it's week six. It's like, what are you up by? Like eight dollars? I don't know. Fucking, <laughs> yeah, what's what your unit mean? base? Nickels? Yeah. So, but soft pretzels in the recess lounge. <laughs> so I believe it was Monday. The Atlanta Hawks played the Orlando Magic in Orlando. And the night prior, Atlanta Atlanta has a double overtime win against the Knicks. Most of their their best players play something like 45 to 50 minutes, which is just insane. And so playing the second night of a back-to-back, obviously they're going to be a a huge underdog. But, But my thinking is going into this game, you know, Orlando can't score. And so while I would expect... Orlando to win more often than not I think Atlanta has been coming on and they're going to be bigger underdogs than maybe they should be so the line's eight and a half and for three quarters of that game not only is Atlanta covering they're leading going into the fourth quarter and everything's going well things are going down the stretch and and suddenly the wheels start to fall off. And it's like, okay, you know, if they lose, it's not a big deal. It's eight and a half points. That's a, a pretty big spread. Orlando can't shoot. While Orlando hits a couple threes, we get to the final minute. They're up five. Atlanta has a chance to score. They miss. They foul. It's seven-point game with, I want to say, about 20 seconds left. You figure if Atlanta misses their shot here, Surely they're not going to foul, and they just let the clock run out. Second night of an exhausting back-to-back. So, of course, they miss the shot, and they decide to foul. And then Orlando makes both free throws to cover the nine, and Atlanta decides after fouling down seven that now that it's a nine-point game post-foul, they're not interested in taking a shot to end the game. So not only did I lose, they didn't even give me a glimmer of hope to cover the bet at the end of the game. And so I just want to personally hold former Sixers coach Lloyd Pierce responsible for that. It's just a poor job to not tell these guys to think about me and my bets and all the bets of of other people around the world, around America. That was just bad job by everybody involved. And that's my my gambling story of the week that I'm sure everybody is compelled by. Did you use betonline.ag? I did use bet online. Okay, well, that, if you didn't, a, I was gonna be like, "That's why you lost because you didn't use it." No, they listen. The the problem was not the clearly. It was a great line. It was a nine point game with an eight and a half point line. That's they're smart people. Those guys they are know. on it. They know, but yeah, maybe they're too far on it because uh, I was a little unhappy with that one. I won plenty of money so far, but I would encourage you guys. To go to betonline.ag, remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag so that you are not a part of the betonline.ag 
bad beat of the week. And now I think Seamus is going to bring you a word from our other sponsor, Untuck It. So just imagine this. It's your lunch break. You're walking around Center City, Philadelphia. All the hustle and bustle, there's tons of people around. Do you see an untucked button-down shirt? How does it Absolutely. look? Absolutely. It looks terrible. Trash. Trash. You know why? Because it wasn't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It. The original button-down shirt actually designed to be wear on tuck. Like, why are you wearing something that isn't meant to be worn that way? Insanity. No matter your size or your shape, tall and lanky like Kyle, a little above average height, a little bit of dad bod like myself, a short king, it doesn't matter. Untucked shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. It's perfect every time. With more than 50 fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. And dad bods in every look and size. Does not matter what you look like, you will look good in an untucked shirt compared to some basic, you know, long sleeve button down your mom bought you when you were 16 years old for, you know, going out with your friends. Don't wear those clothes anymore. (laughs) Throw out your old wardrobe, go to untuck it, slap some plastic down, Through some styles, like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels. It's the winter right now. Nothing's better than a cozy flannel, heading out to the bar with your friends, grabbing some drinks, going on a little date. Flannels. Sit Perfect. by a fireplace somewhere. Yeah. Have a little, yeah, little hard liquor uh, in you. Frankfurt Hall or a place like that. Oh, flannel's yeah. Flannel's the perfect look. I'm all about Frankfurt Hall, especially when it's cold. Absolutely. Because a lot of times when you're wearing the untucked button downs everyone looks like they're taken straight from a picture on a digital camera from like 2003 or 2004 where it just looks like <laughs> insanely big because now if you have untuck it though they never look too baggy they never look bulgy too long or too big you don't look like you're in the background of a nelly video or anything like that and the best part is the website's easy to use they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find the exact fit that works for you and your body. Body positivity. Doesn't matter your size or shape. They will find the perfect fit and shirt for you. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com. And use code BLUE, that's B-L-U-E, for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com, promo code BLUE, for 20% off. And as I always say, there is an Untucket store on Walnut Street in Center City, Philadelphia. Check it out there, too. Seamus, always with the killer local plug. That's why you come to us I get the spin, you know what I mean? Like... I know there's people that listen to this in New York or, you know, there's, there's six of fans around the country uh, at this point, which in itself seems weird to say, but you know, if you're a guy listening to this, you need a new shirt. I'm sure you live in the area, the suburbs, you're in town for work, meeting out with some friends on the weekend, pop in the store. Why not? Exactly. Hey, the worst that can happen is that you spend a little money and you look a little better when you go out on the weekend. Yeah. You wear that short shirt that night. Get someone's number, have a great night, get a couple drinks, go home happy. Maybe you'll even be Twitter famous for a picture with your girlfriend like Seamus is. Yeah, maybe day. you meet your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and your life changes. Something and the Sixers win the championship. To. Well, no, I don't know if we can all aspire to the Sixers winning a championship, but the rest of it, something to aspire to. Anyway. I feel like we have buried the lead on this podcast slightly, Seamus. But it was either Embiid or this, and Embiid seemed more controversial. Yeah. But the move that I think you have been more gung-ho about than I have for, you know, different reasons. Multifaceted. Al yeah. Al Horford finally moves to the bench, and of course it coincides with the Sixers finally looking like the team that maybe 
everyone expected them to be from the very beginning. And so I guess you were there last night, Seamus, as was I, but when you heard the news that Horford was uh, no longer in the starting lineup, scale of one to 10, what's your excitement level? I was like an 8.8. I was already riding high. I wrote this in like my newsletter today. Like the Zani water at the stadium, at the arena, I should say, is $5. Uh, but then the big ass smart water is only six dollars. Oh, dude, so that's I, not even a question. So I bought. So my buddy Joe Anzer and I were getting water. He got some Lorenzos. I already ate before I went down there, and he was buying me the water since I were using my tickets. And she's like, "Oh, that's five dollars, or the big one six dollars." And I'm like, looking at it, it's a quart. It's like a smart water quart for six bucks. That's an unreal value for. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Smart I can't get water over. is way better than. Yeah, like, it's all. I don't it's like electric, any potential sponsors. They're not our. But. They're not our sponsor. It was just a refreshing beverage. Anyway, so I was already really happy going into the game and excited for the game. Then I saw that Al was benched, and of all people, Furcon was starting for him, and I just knew it was going to be a great night. Yeah, the funny thing is, Furcon, of course. And he went over. There was I thought I was I said to I said with Anthony Capelli as well, and I was just like you know he's going eight oh for eight from deep tonight or something like that. He had a couple good looks where it really rimmed out. He had one really bad air ball. Uh, he had one I guess faux heat check and transition which I loved even though it had no chance of going again. Oh, dude, we I don't think I've laughed harder on press row. Dude, it was awesome. It was awesome. I love, I love the balls he showed. <laughs> Me, I'll say that. That guy does not lack confidence. Myself, Bodner, and Hoffman all turned to each other when that Band shot went bad up boys. and just started like dying laughing. And look, I respect it. I, I understand that. Someone Kirk on the team's got to be like that. Uh, this is a a rip of a Bill Simmons thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the irrational confidence guy. Yeah. It, that's it's real like a thing i definitely believe in you need yeah. somebody that and you know we're gonna get to josh richardson in a moment i, I think once we talk some more about he's getting there a little bit i think josh richardson is sneakily a a irrational confidence guy in the sense that like he might be a little too good for it <laughs> well but just the, in the sense that he might play poorly for 25 minutes just stupid turnovers over-aggressive defense, where he's in foul trouble, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, he hits like one big shot and the ball gets rolling downhill and he doesn't need more than one big play, one you good play. Two so, huge threes, right? Well, he was, I mean, he was sensational. He had a gr- couple quarter. great cuts to the basket on easy passes from Ben. They ran a lot of their crunch time offense. Like their fourth, not even crunch time, their whole fourth quarter offense was essentially built around Richardson to a degree, and he was great. But I'm not sure how sustainable to, that is, but yeah. I like it. Do you know what I mean? It's something we've called for all year. That was sort of the team's, like he was the swing player in a sense that if he could actually do that, that brings him to an entire new level as an offense. And it certainly hasn't been. You know, I wouldn't say he's below expectations. He's been about what you would want him to be. Uh, but if he can just, you know, you just need him to get hot, you know, one or two games in the playoffs like that, and that can swing the entire series. And I'm not expecting him to do that every fourth quarter. He's not a real scorer like that. He's not a real lead guard. He's not a true perimeter creator scorer. But if you do that once or twice in a playoff series, changes everything. They don't really have a guy that does that otherwise. Yeah, and something that I I was keeping tabs on last night that I think is going to loom large moving forward. I think with the move of Horford to the bench, the fact that they now have they have Richardson who can run pick and rolls when Harris is the power forward next to Horford or Embiid, he can run pick and rolls. Alec Burks can come in off the bench and – he can shoot off the dribble and score at all three levels. He's not necessarily the most efficient guy and certainly wasn't on uh, Tuesday night, but just the fact that they now have guys who are capable of running those sets and, and playing that way. Can you explain it, what it means to score at all three levels for Sixers fans out there, given that 
they have not had a guy who can do that. And I'm not even Lou Williams. I'm not even kidding. Well, he wasn't even that good when he was on the team. That's what I think people forget. Like I, I hated him when he was here. He was annoying as hell. But he's obviously gotten a lot better. Yeah. So I mean, three levels is pretty easy to understand concept that he's a threat from three he can score and pull up from the mid-range and he can finish at the rim and so that as simple as that sounds it's not it's clearly has not been with the way the the Sixers have been built and the way they've played over the last few years now certainly you don't want guys to be high volume mid-range scorers that's a a part of the game that has gone out of style obviously for for good reason but the like it it allows you to take pressure off of or you're getting to a spot where defenses are not pressuring you so you can get good looks there late in the shot clock or if they're really doing a good job protecting the rim and, and flying out to the three-point line that's a, a soft spot in defenses that can be exploited the Sixers really haven't had many of those period let alone since they've started to be a good team again and I think one of the beneficiaries of that is Horford despite the fact that he was benched because now they have all these guys that they can use him in pick and pops and pick and rolls with and and that's that's been the the heart of his offensive game for most of his career so I think despite the fact that he was benched he's almost better served now between the the lineup combinations he's with and just not spending as much time next to Embiid, which we've talked a lot about the impact it's had on Joel playing with him, but I don't think we've done a lot of discussion of the other way around, which certainly sharing the floor with Joel and Ben has not been the best thing for Warford's career. Yeah, I couldn't look like Joe was having a blast out there when he wasn't. He looked like he just like weight off his shoulders. He was like, yeah, or just like broke up with someone after being in like a terrible relationship toxic relationship has ended yes um although we should note i i believe they played i don't know the exact minutes uh, spike said it it was they played 13 minutes together against chicago so they obviously both started that game and they played 10 minutes together so it's not in a vacuum it's not a huge change but it also the underrated aspect going beyond just those numbers is that it changes the rotations. And I think that's more of the key than just simply looking at the time they spend together on the court. Cause it could be, could mean less time with Ben even because there was lineups for a couple minutes last night that had Horford and Embiid. And I believe GR three, uh, Josh and Burks. Is that sounds about right. I saw our, our pal yeah. Marty Teller was talking about that. And it's a lineup he wants to see more. And I kind of agree with him. Marty's a good basketball mind. And, that two big lineup uh, would definitely be more successful with three guards out there as opposed to, you know, a nominal point guard, but really a forward and Ben and a guy like Tobias. So you brought his name up, but Marty, I want to run something by you. Do you think there is a reasonable case to be made that Glenn Robinson should start? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, Furkan didn't look great last night. I think it was a little unlucky shooting, and especially he was certainly had to come crash downward a little bit after those two 30-plus point explosions. Uh, but this is kind of what, you know, the end of February and Mar- early March is for me. It's for Brett. Like, I think you have to entrench Al as the sixth man. You can't go back and forth, you know, waffling with him starting and not starting. That's not going to work. You want him to get in the rhythm now for April and May as a guy who's coming off the bench and get used to that and get the rotations like that. But the sixth guy who's starting is, or the fifth guy who's starting is a little up in the air for me. It could be Furkan. I was in favor of it because he's been playing well lately because he does offer some flexibility as a guard. I didn't want Matisse Thibel out there as much as I'm a fan of his. I wanted someone who had more guard capabilities in ball handling and playmaking because uh, that's obviously what the Sixers lack severely. But that's where the acquisition of both GR3 and Burks, as you said, come into play. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised by the end of February if, you know, GR3's entrenched himself as the, you know, starting two guard or the three, whatever you want to call it. So I, I think to me... Would you start Burks or uh, Robinson? I'm actually writing about this for uh, most people who will spoilers. hear this. 
<laughs> it will probably be out around the same time as the article. So uh, you will you will have seen the case I lay out for each of the different options. I think realistically, if you they really are committed to they are not going to start Horford, this is a a permanent thing moving forward. And I'm not convinced that's necessarily the case. I think it probably should be, but it, it's who knows might... with this team what stuff you know. Right, like, and, nothing and surprised it, me anymore. With a hundred million dollar player, there's more to this than just hey you're not there's more than x's and o's yeah there's business decisions there's optics there's crazy ownership there's an overmatched general manager there's a lot going on there are many layers to it so we'll see if this holds but i think there is a case to be made that robinson offers you enough on both ends and is like in the case of furcon They've been running stuff through him lately, which has been really good. But I think there's something to be said for having a fifth guy in that lineup who's just like, he doesn't need touches. He's going to shoot every so often when the ball comes to him. And he's a capable shooter. He's having a career year from deep. Good slasher, good cutter, but doesn't need touches. He's a good defender. And there's no real, like he's not a self-creator, which is a weakness that Dybul has. But that's really the only obvious weakness I think he has in his game. He's decent enough at everything. And with a lineup that the other four guys are already capable and, and competent at everything you need from uh, the first four guys in a five-man lineup, I think just having a guy who's not taking things off the table would be an asset for that group. Now, I think... What's the what's your case for Burks? Burks, I would be less convinced of because I think he sort of needs the ball in his hands more to have value. I think we saw that last night that they they tried to run some actions with him and with varying success. There was a nice uh, Ben finish as the roll man and a pick and roll with him. Uh, I want to say I think Horford got a nice look at a three in a pick and pop with him. He hit a pull-up jumper in the first half. So there was some nice stuff. He's he's a little shot happy, but it's his first game with a new team, and, and that's sort of how he plays anyway. So something wrong with that. I, I think really it's going to boil down to Robinson and Thibault because I, I don't trust Korkmaz enough to play and guard playoff caliber teams when it matters. I, I think – as we saw against the Clippers on Tuesday night, they really, really hunted him. And it wasn't even necessarily Lou Williams isoing him. They got Landry Shamit free a ton with Furkan just getting eaten alive on screens a lot in that second, in the third quarter and the second half. So there are ways to exploit him that are you can't do with either Thibel or Robinson. And then from there, I think it's just a matter of, okay, do you trust Matisse is shot enough that you want to roll with him. Do you trust that he's not going to make rookie mistakes versus a guy that has been in the league for a while? Maybe not been in playoff situations, but has been around a few times. He's got and, stones. He and yet, that, that big three last night. Yeah, and the case for and the case for Matisse is that he brings an elite caliber skill on defense that separates him from any other guy that could be in that spot. So, I mean, I think they're cer- they're certainly incentivized for that guy to be Matisse and to get him ready to be there. But I do think it might be an unrealistic ask for a rookie who, you know, he's sort of a one-dimensional offensive player to ask him to be a starter and potential closer on a, a team that, Still, I think has aspirations to want to win the East and I would and hope win so. the title. Yeah, like I mean, that would be it would be as, bad if they already gave up. Yeah, I I don't think anybody has given up there. They they are not uh, sticking their chests out and, and woofing, but they uh, they definitely still have high hopes for this group. So I, I guess level who, high hopes. Oh, don't, don't even get me started. Uh, <laughs> So who do you want to see in that spot, and who do you think has the best case from where we sit today? I guess, the, actually, different question. Who do you think is going to close games? Because I think as much as this the starting lineup thing is a fascination, ultimately what matters is who's the group that's out there when, when times get tough and, and it slows down in the final few minutes of games. Is it weird that I'm saying Thibel? 
Or is that recency no, bias? I don't think just because he crazy. was there at last night. I think Brett really values the defense. Again, I don't think he plays scared. That's something that sounds intangible and stupid and maybe boomerish, but I've seen enough rookies and young players in Philadelphia flinch from the spotlight and flinch from gigantic moments. And if you're in a potential finals preview on national TV in a close game, you're going against the reigning finals MVP, an all-NBA player in Paul George, those two guys in your face, and you're willing to get, as soon as you get the ball, throw it up there, no matter how much you've played other than the game, no matter how much you've shot during the game, that was his only made three. And he sunk it. So I respect that, and I think Brett does. Brett is certainly kind of a defense-first coach, I think you'd say, too, in terms of his quote-unquote guys. He likes the fight. He likes the feistiness. And I don't want Horford closing games. This isn't like a huge shot to him. It just doesn't doesn't really work in that scenario. Maybe if you're going offense-defense, in some situations you put them out there. But at the same time, you know, I'd probably prefer Thibault out there for more versatility. Yeah, I think ultimately it's going to come down to what the matchup is. Yeah, it's, it's certainly matchup dependent for sure. And, you know, if they're going offensive for a set, maybe throwing, you know, Burks for the ball handling or GR3. But then maybe for playing on defensive end, like someone just did a timeout, you throw out Matisse or maybe Al if the team's a little bit bigger and beefier. Yeah, I think the the best thing you could say about Elton Brand's moves at the trade deadline is that they've never had more options of styles that they can play with teams. They they no longer are a team. Optionality. They don't feel like a group that has to win one way or they're not winning at all, right? Like I think that they can build lineups where it's Joel and three or four guys potentially that can all shoot and score and, and make his life easier. I think if you want to play an ultra big bully ball lineup, maybe you play Toronto at some point and they run out the Gasol Abaca front court that we saw that that really changed the series for them against uh, Philly last year. Uh, I, I think now they they certainly have a, a counter to that. Like if they wanted to go back to the Embiid Horford, Horford pairing, pairing, you can match like for like. Like they they are able now to shift in and out of styles to a degree that I don't think that they necessarily were capable before. And so as much as we can say like, yeah, Alec Burks isn't much of anything on his own. And yeah, Glenn Robinson's bounced around a little bit. He's nothing particularly special. I do think they're guys. They are players. Yes. They're guys that you can play in a playoff rotation and you don't sit there and think like, Oh yeah. He's like a, a candidate to just get rolled off the floor. Yeah, so before we get to our usual segment, let's go through the list. I think this we should close with this. What guys on the roster do you trust being on the floor in a playoff series? So it's the four definite starters. Correct. Horford. Correct. Thibel. Yes, the two Golden State dudes. I trust Robinson more oh, than Burks, uh, but... But I like I still I would say yes to both of those. Yeah, I mean at a certain point you need to, you need bodies. So that's five guys plus Thibault plus those who. That's eight. Do you trust Furkin? Not necessarily. No. Yeah, I'm a little maybe not in the fourth quarter or it's a situation where hey they're down by twelve in the second quarter. Do you want to play a, a Ben and Shooters lineup? That's a situation where I'd play him. Uh, but he's definitely not the guy. Um, you know trying to run out there too quickly in the playoffs so is that what an eight-man rotation i mean that's, yeah, that's about what a, that's about what a playoff guys. it's like an eight or nine guys for the playoffs yeah. usually sometimes even seven or eight so i think that's about right and then so maybe have, burks doesn't play some nights right and you have those eight and then you say like okay like i i think mike scott has been oh yeah yeah this I think, year i think he's playable in the playoffs i think he's yeah. had a pretty bad year but He's not a guy that I'm at, that's out there. I'm like, oh, shit, Mike Scott's out there. We're, like, effed. Right, and that's a thing that you can identify quickly. Like, if you put just Scott, look at Just look at him. If you put Scott out there and he hits a three on his first touch, it's like, okay, we'll roll with him for a little bit. We have some shot making. Yep. If, it, if he doesn't have it, if he's badly missing, you can pull him and he's not playing more than five minutes. You, you bite the bullet on that. And, I yeah. like, to a lesser – like – I think Furkan Korkmaz has been in another world 
from him as a player this season. Certainly. I have less trust in him in a high-pressure playoff format. But at the same time, you could say the same things that we just said about, so those are, about, about Furkan. Those are the two fringe guys. So you got eight but guys. We could call them like halves. So yeah, we'll so say like, like nine, nine guys. Okay, I like that. Which like is fine because like last year they were at a point where they couldn't take Joel Embiid off the floor. That's no longer the case. We started Greg Monroe in a fucking playoff game. Yeah, that was ridiculous. It remains ridiculous. And they won that game. That's the craziest part. They won the game. Doesn't make it any Monroe better. Because <laughs> then, well, then he had to be the backup in Toronto and they got run off the freaking court whenever Joe wasn't out. Yeah, well... Seamus, I, I think we can comfortably say that like they have They have a playoff team. They like have a, contender, a playoff team. contender roster. Obviously they're a playoff team. I don't think they're as deep as some of the other teams they'll be up against, but those teams don't have the same top end talent as the Sixers do. And it's you know, we didn't I don't think we've mentioned his name maybe more than once, but I do think that Brett Brown did a good job with yeah. juggling the, the the changes and they, they executed versus zone better on Tuesday night. That was obviously a big sore spot in the past. And so I think a lot of it down the stretch here and certainly in the playoffs is going to come down to how easily or how quickly can Brett get these guys into a somewhat consistent rotation and what – what looks can they play out of with confidence when the calendar turns to the playoffs? I think those are, those are big questions he's going to have to ask. And as we talked about, his job is certainly on the line heading into this postseason. So he's got, he's got a ton of motivation to come out with, uh, comes out, come out guns blazing in mid April. Hey, Horford could have been benching him could end up being a season saving move. And I'm not banking on it, but, you know, it was a drastic move that needed to be happen, and he's likely losing his job this offseason, so screw it. Try something different. And he did, and I respect it. Yeah, he uh, he did a good job Tuesday night. Obviously, only one game, and there's a, there's a lot more questions that are coming down the, the pipeline for them, but first test has been passed. So on that note, we move on to everybody's favorite segment, at least the favorite segment for... Seamus and myself, I believe. And that is the Mac Hollins loser of the week award. I think this one's probably going to be a, uh, a pretty, pretty easy call. Seamus. Well, my favorite segment is the ad read, but other than the ad read, wow, this is definitely my favorite. We segment. love our sponsors. I will, I will say that. Uh, I'm going to go with Paul George. who had like, I'm not going to say he had a meltdown, but he was, uh, a little down in the dumps in terms of how he was talking about, oh, there was home cooking with the rest, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, like, he dude, counted the individual fouls called on yeah, each Yeah, dude, you were three for 15. Shut the frig up. <laughs> Buddy, you want to talk about unlucky? Look at the best player on your team. And that shot he hit against the Sixers last May that crushed her finals hopes. That's unlucky. Wait, speaking of, did you get any PTSD when I shot that oh one my in the God. end of the third quarter on Tuesday night? Capelli and I were shaking. That was that was tough, man. I saw Kawhi go up and Joel try to contest, and I was like, oh, man, that is... Got to throw some salt over your shoulder. <laughs> but, yeah, to your point, like the beginning of that fourth quarter was nothing but Paul George grifting and getting bailed out on some with some... Awful, awful calls. I didn't think the officials were good in almost any way on Tuesday night. Uh, for a while, you know, I thought it was called well or at least called consistently for maybe like two and a half quarters. They're letting guys get away with physicality. They're letting a lot of contact go around the rim. And for a team with Joel Embiid, that tends to benefit them. But over time, it just got a lot more inconsistent and they were calling more of the clutching and grabbing and you know if you start a game calling it one way all i ask is that you keep it going for the uh the rest of the game it's not that hard to 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 do obviously we called him loser of the week but do you think he's like actually a loser in the sense that he's like not a winning basketball player like the way we call russell westbrook is obviously awesome at basketball 
but he's definitely a loser. Do you think Paul George <laughs> is in that territory? No, nah, I think Paul George is good. I, no, I like, like Paul George too. I'm just kind of embracing the bait. All right. Well, I don't know. Skip, it's a worthy skip topic. Clan- he, skip Clancy. I don't know. Maybe you no, did. I, like, he had it's a, a fair question. He's, he's not like he's he had the one Eastern Conference Finals appearance in 2013, took LeBron to Game 7 and got smoked. Um, You know, he complained about Damon. Like that shot Lillard hit in the playoffs last year against okc that was last year right yes yeah and he said what, like, a, oh, what a shot that oh that was. he said that well that was a bad shot like that was like an inefficient shot from where he was shooting at i'm like dude what the freak are you talking about he's dang you know, he's a sore loser i understood what he was trying to say but i get like you're saying like i'm fine with him taking that shot you can live with it but obviously like bro you got to read the room on that one that yeah is not the time idiot <laughs> Uh, no, but yeah, you know, Paul George complaining about the officials, pretty clear loser of the week. I didn't think they're, well, the only other candidate would be Howard Eskin, who is, is not capable. Of, oh, he's not a loser. He's awesome. <laughs> I might have to kick you off the podcast. He's hilarious. Um, for his many, many typos. And this one, this week, it wasn't even Lawrence a typo. McCutcheon, his he's calling Andrew McCutcheon, Lawrence McCutcheon, who evidently, was a football player I had never heard of from the 70s. So congratulations to Howard for officially reaching the age where he is confusing two athletes from different sports from two different eras. That is a uh, that's quite an accomplishment. If if the Clippers want to get rid of a a loser player in Paul George and get a winner like Tobias Harris back in their system. We could explore that trade. Yeah, shoot for the moon. Season. They need a rim yeah. protector. Send them Al Horford. Yeah. <laughs> the headshot. Okay. Look, does the little things they seem to do to win the game. The Clippers need somebody who can protect the rim against guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Who better to do that than somebody who has learned their tendencies and played alongside them all year? I'm going to try to cause a rift with Paul George in the national <laughs> media and get him traded out of LA to Philadelphia. Well, I will say, I, I can tell you for a fact that the front office was interested in Paul George back when Colangelo was in charge. I would so. think uh, all 30 teams were interested in Paul George's services. Yeah, so I, I know that there were, uh, let's say, some attempts made. Whether they were that serious or not is certainly up for a debate, but uh, I, I think Paul George would look good with this Sixers team, I'll tell you that. Uh Hot take. Still the loser of the week, though. Yeah, definitely. So on that note, we thank everybody for rocking with us as always. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five-star review as I'm about to yawn here. I'm trying to get through this without yawning on the podcast. It's 10 o'clock at night. You had a long day. (laughs) And we will talk to you guys probably after the All-Star break unless something crazy goes down to this weekend. So thanks, everybody, for sticking with us so far and looking forward to getting a little rest before the stretch run here enjoy the break everyone you too Seamus